the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover3 and across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Come jump in the comments. Let us know uh, how things are going, what you're thinking about, and of course, uh, join the conversation. Also, if you're here watching live, please do us a favor. Smash that like button. Subscribe if you haven't already. And as we like to say all throughout the offseason, just tell one, one. Just go tell one friend about the Cover 3 podcast, someone uh, who might enjoy it. A couple things we're going to be getting to, most of them from the big old bag of mail. We'll be taking a look at maybe what would happen in the NFL draft if we change some of the rules. As always, one of our favorite teams to talk about, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, will come up. Uh, a quarterback who was absurdly prolific last season. Ooh, no one's really talking about in terms of the quarterback picture going in uh, to 2022 and so much more. But we want to start with uh, a a congratulations and some flowers and and you know just really want to recognize um, game changers and revolutionaries within the sport of college football. Barton Simmons, you know, the a part of our Cover Three coaching tree. He is the general manager at Vanderbilt, and that position when he described it to us you know really is on the cutting edge of uh, as these modern football programs are building out their staffs so you Barton Simmons have really set a standard that national championship winning programs have continued to follow in the footsteps of as we find out here on Thursday morning that Alonzo Highsmith a Miami legend will be leaving his position with the Seattle Seahawks to go take on uh, the role of general manager for the University of Miami. So, Barton, you have set a standard that Alonzo Highsmith is just copy. He's just a copycat for what you and Clark Lee are doing. But in general, when we look at Highsmith and the continued investment that Miami seems to be making in its football program, you know, what are the thoughts? Uh, is is he taking on like the Ed Reed? Uh, face of the program hype man role, or do you think that this kind of hire is something that's more indicative of, uh, you know, what Miami wants to do from building out its support staff? Well, first of all, Miami's double dipping from the Vandy tree because not only are they hiring a general manager, but they're hiring a former fullback, which is what Clark Lee played. So they're just pretty much following the Vandy model at That's Miami. It. That is what Mario Cristobal's trying to do. No, I, I don't think this is like a figurehead role. I think that, you know, Highsmith comes 
from Seattle where he was working in the front office. I think that if they're bringing him from, if he's leaving that job to go be the general manager of football operations for Miami, he's very much going to be involved in the personnel side of things, whether it's identifying the talent or, or, you know, just looking at tape, identifying players, trying to figure out who they want to get or what. I think he's going to be somebody with a voice in that staff as far as what players are going for, whether it's out of high school, the transfer portal, whatever. It's real. I mean, I like Jason Taylor to me is that figurehead or not figurehead, um, you know, f- face to come in, to be a supporter, like, like the that, ambassador kind yeah, of thing. Exactly. Yeah. This to me is all hands, hands on in the weeds. And this to me is, and we talked about this with Barton when he did this, this is the evolution of college football. The only question I have is the general manager in the NFL works with the head coach to find talent and with the owner somewhat to determine how much they're going to spend on that talent. They manage the salary cap. What does that position look like in college? I get it's about scouting, but, and I get there has to be some sort of distance from the boosters that are at play, but we all know there's probably things that go on where you're all at least trying to get the same players because what happens if John Ruiz thinks that, you know, this is the billion dollar, you know, supposedly billion dollar, uh, billionaire booster. What if he thinks this player is the player that'll make a difference and the coaching staff says, ah, that guy's got a bad, we've heard about him. He's a bad attitude. We don't want him. And yet the booster says, no, I want him. Like I want him for this program. Well, that's the one thing that I have and like just that I think is going to create some issues. And I think Lane Kiffin even talked about that in the long form piece that he did with, or the sit down he did with Ross Dellinger of SI. That to me is the, the, and is the general manager going to be the guy that can kind of do that at arm's length? I don't think you're supposed to have anybody do it from the university, but we all know like it's got to happen. There's got to be some form of communication or else you will have those situations crop up. Yeah. I think that, the, the one difference between the NFL and the college way that it'll be handled is like, you know, in, in the NFL, the GM hires the coach. I think at the college, the coach is hiring the GM. So I think that as far as the chain of command, like I would imagine Highsmith has to report to Cristobal and Cristobal would have the final say. But then again, like you said, there's boosters, there's ADs. Cristobal has people he's going to answer to as well. So I'm not sure what the actual structure of what that's going to look like. I'm pretty sure, you know, Barton runs everything at Vandy. That's what he's always telling us. He's like, well, he, but, I make all the decisions. Like, and, and and just like Barton can look boosters in the eye and with his like, you know, six, four stature and, you know, just like good looks, he's just able to freeze them in their place. I, who's you, you may have money, Mr. Booster, but are you going to be able to go face to face with Alonzo Highsmith and tell him something when he's trying to tell you the other way? That is a that is an intimidating presence and somebody who has been, you know, in rooms with with millionaires and, and people of high success. I think that number number one, like this clearly is the continued financial investment we haven't seen from Miami football ever before. You know, like the what they did to buy out Manny, what they did to bring in Mario, what they did to be able to get Josh Gaddis away from Michigan. Like we have just at every step along the way, you know, I, I make the crypto ball jokes. You know, we've we've heard like, oh, we've got all these new Bitcoin billionaires and everything is changing around that area and around that program. Well, no matter what, this is uh this is going to be an investment where they're going to expect a return on that investment. And I think that Highsmith, whether it is evaluating uh, going through the transfer portal and trying to find the right players, whether it is managing 
those players who have all these NIL deals and being uh, a sounding board for them, being a resource, like being the true, you know, player personnel type guy, somebody who your office is a spot where everybody comes by to try and sort out things both on and off the field. Uh, I think that it is a, a tremendous sign if you are a Miami fan or if you want to see the Mario Cristobal era be able to take Miami to the next level, it, it starts with investment. And this, to me, just feels like a continuation of that investment in Miami football in a way that we just haven't seen before. Yeah, and it's just it's the further professionalization of the sport. It's become it, More programs are going to start following an NFL model because – it's going to start looking more and more like the NFL. Maybe it won't look this, like the NFL on the field and in the stadiums, but everything off the field is going to look like the NFL. Mm-hmm. All right. If you want to add a question to the uh-oh, uh-oh. To the big bag of mail, I think that's what he was going to say, right? Yeah, if you want to add a question to the big bag of mail, all you have to do is leave a five-star review on iTunes or on Apple Podcasts with your question. You know, you can even insult us just as long as it's a five-star review and we will get to it. Or, you know, if you want to just tweet him to us too, that usually works. But, you know, maybe Chip will come back one day and we'll know the questions, Danny. There, there he is. is. He's back. You know, when you're out on probation, like it's still tight leash. Like, you know, they can't just let you have free reign of the Internet. Prison internet, man. It's it, you've got to you've got to put in new passcodes like every uh, every thirty minutes or so just to be able to keep it going. Uh, maybe maybe He's making it's like, it in the toilet. Maybe the ankle <laughs> monitor is messing with the signal right now. All right, let's uh, let's let's get this question. Um, here we go. This question comes from uh, Free Chip. All right. Hey guys, love the pod. Listen to y'all all the time while running, and it makes exercising more palatable. With all the changes happening in college football, I wanted to get your take on a hypothetical. What do you think would be the percentage of first-round NFL draft picks that would be freshman, sophomore eligible college players if the NFL removed the three-year requirement from high school before turning pro? Additionally, what percentage, if any, would go straight from high school to being a first-rounder? Let's assume NFL roster size and practice squad size stay the same. Again, love the pot. I don't think it would be high. Like I, I think it would still be a rarity, at least now, but I don't know. Like going in the future, because we've seen like these kids growing up, they're they're getting into it a lot younger than they used to, like when these rules were put in place where it's like, you know, the development of the body. Most of these kids just aren't ready for the NFL yet. We're seeing that change. So maybe 10, 15 years from now. It's a whole lot different. But even now, I still think most kids coming out of high school are not physically ready for the NFL. And in the NFL, like in the NBA, there are a lot of players coming out of high school. But, you know, we've seen in the NBA where, first of all, the physical demands are different. But other than that, the demands of the job of the people making the picks are different. Like there are teams tanking who don't mind having a few years to have a guy develop. In the NFL, for the most part, some teams do tank, and those would probably be the teams more willing to take that chance. But you're only getting like three years. Like if it's not, it's got to be a quick rebuild. It's got to be a quick turnaround. If by the time you're in your third year, you're probably getting fired if there aren't significant signs of improvement. So I don't know how many 18-year-old kids are going to be getting drafted by NFL teams. I will say that of the first-round picks, if this were to happen – I would guess the majority of them would be quarterbacks, cornerbacks, 
receivers and running backs. I don't think you would see very many linemen or linebackers going early just because physically they're not ready. I love the question because for a long time, like I got tired of hearing the players are exploited and felt like, and and this is a solution that I think the NCAA could have tried to push the NFL on. It said, Hey, let, let's let's petition the NFL and let players turn pro anytime they want. If you don't like the system, then go be a pro. Obviously, it didn't work out that way. That wasn't proposed or couldn't get pushed through because it's an NFL rule. Um, I, I think the, the, the question is interesting because I think you'd see a lot of guys try to come out after a freshman year or after a sophomore year. And just like you see – when they come out after three years, you see a lot of mistakes made. You see players come out too early. They hear things from agents, and then they're you know they go undrafted and they're kind of screwed. It's really sad when you see players mismanage that. And I think that's one of the better aspects of NIL is that you can because like, a lot of guys go pro because they need the money. They need to send it home to support their families, and now they can stay for a few thousand bucks or fifty or a hundred or whatever the number is. I think that's great. From the high school to pro. Like, who do you think could have done it? Like, I think Jadavion Clowney, because you said that, Mm -hmm. like, he might have, but even him would have been a massive jump. Now, he looks like he could have done it. Leonard Fournette came in right away as a running back. But even those guys, like, I still think they would kind of need baby steps, red shirt year, like, kind of carried on, which they used to do in the NBA with guys they would draft Mm -hmm. out of high school. You could, but with a 53 man roster and tight numbers. You could do it with a quarterback. You could say an Arch Manning, I would say, would be he'd probably be the number one overall quarterback like this if when he comes out. And a team could say, Yep, we're gonna we're just gonna stash him on the roster. We'll pay him and in two to three years we'll 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 have him, you know, we'll we'll make that transition. But like, I don't know if there are that many guys historically you could even think of that would have been able to make that jump. There would have been guys that tried. And I, I think you could count them. I think it would be such a slim number from high school to the pros. I think you might see two or three try and maybe only one become a first rounder. Then your team might take a sixth or seventh round where you don't have to commit a lot to them, but that's not good for the player. Then the player might you know, not, not appreciate that decision. That's why I've always thought like baseball does it right. You can get drafted. If you're not happy with where you got drafted or the money's not right, you can go back to college, you know, and you can go back to school. I'd be okay with that model too. Hey, if you want to enter the draft anytime you want and you get drafted and you don't like it and you, or you don't like the team, whatever it is, you can go back, go back to college. I think that would be a huge uh, win for the players in this high, uh, situation. High school to NFL, I don't think very highly of. I think you need to get at least one year of being in a college uh, program. But my number is 9.3%. I think that you would have three of, of pl- three players who are either just finished their freshman or just finished their sophomore year. I mean, that kind of was what Jamar Chase was. Yeah. It kind of was what Micah Parsons was. Some of those players who opted out of the 2020 season and then went on to get drafted, they only had two years of experience. Now, they had but more you know what they also had? They had a third year in the weight program. They and had that's a third the year in the weight program. When I you agree. look, when you look at the programs that are traditionally churning out NFL talent, they're not only getting the best talent out of high school, but they're sending them to the NFL. There's a reason every single one of them spends so much money on strength and conditioning. There's a reason those see three. And I also think that there would be more in the first round than there would be later because oh, yeah, for you're sure. only going to go. Early. 
yeah, you're only going to go if you think you're going to be a first or second round pick. And it would be like, you know, Maurice Claret. It would be uh, the clowny that we mentioned. I think Jamar Chase could have done it even without time in the weight room just because coming off that 2019 season, you're like, yeah, that guy's... He's and a- look at, you know, speaking of the weight programs, look at Devontae Smith or some of these other guys who have been drafted in the first round. They're not exactly specimens. They're mm-hmm. fast, you know, and, and you'd be surprised at some of the skill positions, how skinny, small boned they are, but they're, they can fly, they can cover, they can do whatever you need to ask them. And they're not exactly blocking a lot, you know, like, mm-hmm. so I think, I think Tom brought up a good point about the positions that would do it. Lyman. That Stingley, yeah, I mean, he basically did it too. I mean, he kind of, you know, like, I mean, really only played that one year and it was a great year. And then, you know, I know he was hurt, but he basically did that too. So, yeah, I think that's, I love the question. I think it's a good one to kind of, uh, you know, to banter about. Uh, well, to humanize this, since we do have like your unique perspective, Danny, what about the like emotional, psychological, like maturity development? Um, mm-hmm. you know, we've, you know, the, for those players who go from the high school level or into the NBA or, or leave after their freshman or sophomore year, you know, sometimes we'll, we can either see or hear or have it reported about just, you know, there's a tough adjustment to being a pro and, and to the gap and living in that world. It's an even bigger locker room there in the NFL. How do you, how do you think that those uh, challenges might present themselves or how do you think that that would pl- end up playing out? I'm I, clearly it's a massive jump uh, maturity. You know, you're in the pros, you're a professional now, but, and I, I never understood that from the NBA perspective. Cause I remember that was a big negative. These guys aren't ready for the NBA. I mean, there's guys that play three or four years of college that aren't ready for that lifestyle mm-hmm. either. I mean, I think maturity is something that you can't really peg. Some, some kids may be raised differently and they're very mature and they're ready to make that jump and, They've got a good support system. Others may not have any type of support system. They go and they're overwhelmed and, you know, blow all their money or go party. But again, it happens with guys that spend three years in college as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, baseball, you see it all. Like, again, that's another, I keep going back to baseball as a, there are guys drafted out of high school all the time that, you know, manage, manage the money, manage the expectations, manner, uh, manage a, a clubhouse. It's just a very unique you know, circumstance there. But I think it's just like life. Like, I mean, you see people come into workplaces that aren't ready for it. And sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. Uh, good. Uh, that's a good comment from uh, the blue chicken there. We put it up on the screen. The reason baseball gets away with it, large and distinguished development league. Where were those high school players develop in the NFL? Clearly a massive difference, but there are, I mean, I'm, I haven't watched much of it, but there is the USFL now. There will be the XFL. There are leagues coming to the forefront, but he's right. I mean, that's a big difference in baseball as they have this established, you know, minor league system that works pretty well. Have you, have y'all watched any USFL? Man, I flipped around. It was a couple weekends ago. The model they're trying to do all the games in Birmingham, it just doesn't work. Like I, I, I will, there were 15 people at the game. I kid you not. Now, I think they did something smart that we all learned from COVID. Remember pumping in sound noise and making it sound like there's a crowd, mm-hmm. but you can't fool people like that long. Like I think people wanted to be fooled during COVID. Now people are like, all right, the gimmick's up. Like we can see there's Just- nobody there. I think it's great. I mean, for but like again, kind of to compare it to no one's expecting minor league baseball to rate. So I don't know why mm-hmm. we expect people to want to tune in to watch minor league football. You know, so I, it's kind of what I thought. 
But to be honest, I don't know if the USFL survives. I don't know. I think the XFL coming up next year might put it out of business because I think they'll do it right and have it, you know, in some cities and have a little bit of a home field advantage. You can get some home field pride and get some people behind you. But I don't know that all these leagues are going to last. Yeah, I mean, I, I've taken an approach with every spring football league now. Is it's like when one sticks, I'll start giving it a chance. But until then, I'm not going to give it a chance because we've seen it a billion times, it feels like, already where it starts. And then it just goes nowhere because football is the most popular sport in this country. But there are other popular sports in this country that are going on in the spring that people are going to pay attention to over a f- new football league. Like an NBA fan is going to be like, screw this. I'm not watching the playoffs this year. I'm going to watch the USFL instead. You know what? I, I just, this is a total side rabbit hole. That I don't know if I want to get into because I don't want to sound like I'm being mean to anybody either. Fox put their be- biggest name on that. Like Joel Klatt is calling some of these games. People don't tune in to watch a broadcaster. That's, you know, like, I, and maybe I think that's what they thought it would happen. And that's, again, our company paid Tony Romo a lot of, I don't think it made a lot of sense. Tom Brady's deal, I don't think it make, makes a lot of sense. People always tune in to watch the game. Who is playing? I want to see these players play, not to see who's calling the game. Because I don't, that's not going to, I don't, I don't know. Blows my mind. And hey, hopefully a rising tide lifts all boats and we all get paid more because they're paying all these analysts money. But I do not understand the economics of it. Oh, Can't. we will gladly, the Cover 3 podcast will gladly be overpaid to give you <laughs> watch parties and live commentary. If we want to go with first screen, second screen, third screen experiences, if you would like to have the Cover 3 podcast be your overpaid analysts. We're right there for you. And the other thing that's funny, I did not know that Joel Klatt was there, but my instant reaction is like, yeah, well, that's the that that's the only person who will do the homework to get all these right. names and these stories down. Like he's he is very good at yeah. you know, like breaking down the tape and being able to tell you what's going on with these players. And uh because I, I I think I looked at like one or two highlights or the box scores, and and even I was like, who? You know, I thought that I'd be able to see a lot of the like college yesteryear names, but even even I would felt like I was grasping at straws for some recognition right there. They did uh, the draft, and I mean, even the quarterbacks, I could only like three. Like Shea Patterson was one. Yeah, wasn't he like the first pick? Yeah, I think he might have been. Yeah, that that told me right then and there. Yeah, all you need to know. <laughs> all right, uh, this next question comes from Jay Brook. Nebraska football adding some big names from big schools through the transfer portal this offseason. How do y'all think they will compare to others in the Big Ten West? I'm thinking a big season is ahead as it's looking like these additions are similar to what Purdue and Michigan State have done in the portal previously ahead of their great seasons. Nebraska has touched everything, multiple quarterbacks, new weapons for those quarterbacks, big men up front in each position on the defensive side, and most importantly, special teams. Thanks, Jay Brook. As long as those special teams are well coached, then we should be okay. I'm looking at their depth chart, and I'm seeing a transfer long snapper and a transfer holder for the kicking game, that might be the difference in Nebraska turning things around. So way to go on those special teams. Um, I think Nebraska's like primed and ready. I mean, we've talked about it a bunch on here. The best three-win team in football Mm -hmm. we saw last season, aside from even the transfer portal and what happens, I think they're going to get better at quarterback because, I mean, 
Adrian Martinez was what he was, right? I think he was pretty tapped. We saw what he was capable of. I think whether it's Casey Thompson or whether it's Chuba Purdy, like there'll be an upgrade there. And then I just think this team needs to figure out a way to win. And once they win one or two of those games, I think you see a big turnaround. I think the roster's talented. I think they fight hard for Scott Frost. Like I, I think this in a division that's, you know, not the stronger one in the Big Ten. I think this could be, I think this will be, and I think this is, I don't think we're saying anything that anybody else hasn't said. I think Nebraska is kind of primed to be one of the down football teams of the season. Yeah, I, I just did radio in Omaha yesterday, and I talked about this a lot while there. I I think that, like you're saying, like Nebraska was a much better team than you thought last year. So if they go seven and five or eight and four, while it'll be a major improvement on the win total, I don't think it'll be that much of it. I don't think it'll take that much of an improvement over the way they played. I think they just need to make fewer mistakes and they'll win a lot of the games that they lost. But I also think that like the questioner mentioned, like the, the, the amount of transfers that they have coming in, and he specifically mentioned Michigan State and Purdue. And what's going to be interesting to me is I don't think Michigan State is going to be the norm. Like, I don't think a program is just going to be able to hit the transfer portal every year and then hit every single one of them the way that Michigan State did and to the level that Michigan State did to have a terrific season, especially as more teams are going to start taking that approach. And I think that we need to maybe, you know, general fan bases need to maybe put their expectations in check for a lot of these transfers because unless you're like Alabama or Georgia or one of these schools that is taking five stars from other programs and getting them to come to you or you know your USC getting the Bolitnikoff award winner to transfer to you most of the kids in the portal are in the portal for a reason like they might not have been able to you know they might have had problems at their the school that they're at they might have had problems getting on the field so it's not like just because they were a four star coming out of high school they're still a four star like if they've been in college for 3 years and they're transferring because they haven't been able to get on the field they're not really a four star anymore they're just still a three star so you kind of have to put those expectations in check so Nebraska could be much better this year I don't know if it's going to be because of the transfer portal or because of anything else it might just be regression to the mean what about the addition of new offensive coordinator Mark Whipple, hired away from Pitt I, after um, after after a great season, obviously for Pitt's offense, where it they were wide open, they were throwing the ball around a lot. Not not a Jordan Addison was wide open. Yeah, Jordan yeah, Addison. You know I mean? <laughs> no, but I do think that was a big reason why Pitt had such a monster year. My question is, does Scott Frost let him just here you go? And do you have the quarterback? I mean. You had a veteran experience. I mean, it was a three-year starter in Kenny Pickett who kind of then all of a sudden took the next step. You're going to get somebody with not a lot of experience that you're going to – if you're throwing the ball that much, it's going to put a lot of pressure on that young quarterback. To me, I was just looking at their schedule. Massive, massive game in Ireland against Northwestern. Like, a must-win. Like, And you can just tell. I guarantee you they're going to be up like – 21 to nine, like they were against Iowa late. And everyone in the, every Nebraska fan is just going to be holding on to the rails. Like, don't blow it. Don't blow it. Like, and, and there, you know, Northwestern will probably score a touchdown to get it close. And they're all going to be on the edge of their seats. But that to me becomes one of those must win games. But if they do win that one, then you can start like pointing a directing a path towards an undefeated matchup with Oklahoma and some momentum. And they played in Oklahoma pretty tough last year. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I think I think you're dead on. I think they need a good start because I think that impacted them last year. Because mm -hmm. you know it's been yeah. a few years. Illinois team. Yeah. 
And it's been a few years of losing under Frost and you kind of start the year. All right, well, this is we're going to, you know, we're going to finally figure it out this year. We're going to get it going. And then you open with the season with a loss in a game that you're expected to win. And the the negative thoughts just come right back to you. Everything just sinks right back in. And I feel like it sets a tone for the rest of the season. Like when you're used to losing and you lose some more. It's just you get you're still used to it. So you just kind of settle into those own patterns. So I do think that, yeah, that game in Ireland against Northwestern, which they should be favored in because I don't think Northwestern is going to be very good. But I think that's going to be a huge game. I think if Nebraska come out, win that game and maybe win it, not not blow them out, but win handily, at least where they're in control, that could be a very good thing for them going forward. I mean, what's really scary is that they might be double digit favorites against Northwestern. They might be. Yeah. I said, oh, talk about getting pucker i would uh, i would not take northwestern right now but i don't know if i take nebraska either we'll see we got a lot of time to break down Make the uh, under uh yeah. it is a 11 point line right now yeah mm-hmm. I'm like, I- quick uh before we do the break i got a tri- trivia question i just found this out um because we were talking about scheduling and you know how many conference games do you know how many home games ohio state has this year nine is it really or no? Nine? No, it'll be t- it'll be eight because they have to eight. have their five. Yeah, they have five, to have their five. You know how many Michigan conference. has this year? Eight. eight. These Big Ten teams got it figured out, man. Eight home games. Are you kidding me? And you know what's funnier is because the way that the Big Ten does it, where they have the nine game schedule, so every year it rotates whether you have to play five home games or four four home games in conference. This is the year that the East is actually having to play five road games. So the only reason they have that many is because they have to next year. They'll only have four. Wow. So this year, so so it, it could be a situation where Ohio state or Michigan could have nine home games potentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. <laughs> Coming up on the other side, we take a look at Speaking of scheduling, we take a look at the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. We've talked a lot about how you build out your schedules, what it means for different conferences. Well, what about the Fighting Irish and their independence? And much more next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Before we uh, dive back into the mailbag, let's go. Let's go bonus question. Tom, the Champions League final is on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 3 p.m. Eastern time. You can watch it on CBS. You can stream it on Paramount Plus. CBS Sports HQ for all of your pregame, postgame coverage. And uh, and I, I got to ask, thoughts, picks, best bets? Um, I don't really have any individual bets, but here's what I'm doing because I took months ago Liverpool to win the Champions League at 5-1, to one, so I will be hedging on Real Madrid. <laughs> That's, but I think Liverpool is going to win. In regulation? Yeah, I think Liverpool's a better team than Real Madrid. Oh, see, the company man bet is the draw. So we get <laughs> extra time. We get more, more eyeballs. More eyeballs. <laughs> Everyone's going to, even if you don't love soccer, you're going to be hearing that Liverpool and Real Madrid have gone to extra time and you're going to be rushing to go get on Paramount Plus or CBS and, you know, draw like plus 270. Hey, that's a, 
that's a nice little payout if you think that this is going to be delivering the kind of drama that we might be getting. Listen, Real Madrid has been magnificent for providing drama in this tournament with like crazy comebacks. I just don't think that is a process you can rely on. And I don't think Liverpool is the kind of team that will allow that to happen because they don't let you have the ball. So it's hard to come back when you don't have the ball. All Benzema needs is like just a second. And then, then we're back in this thing. I mean, it's, Let's see, hey. here's the thing. Oh, we're getting way in the weeds here. Like Benzema, for a, a lot of what he did to help the comebacks was like pressuring the opposing goalie because that's what he's probably the best at in the world is when the goalie has the ball, he puts pressure on them and forces them into mistakes. Liverpool might have the goalie that is one of the best in the world at dealing with that kind of stuff because that's just the way Liverpool plays. So matchup-wise, I just don't think it's very good for Real Madrid. Danny, you going to get any action on this? <laughs> I did not even know who was playing. We had somebody comment the other day. He's like, Canel looks lost during this soccer conversation. <laughs> I'm like, yup, I can't even fake it. I do need to get into it, though, because I know it pays a lot of our bills. So let's go, <laughs> Liverpool. <laughs> there we go. Both teams. Hey, you could do the both teams to score. Yeah. I, call it, I call it the Mr. Rogers bet because everybody goes home happy. Congratulations. Everybody gets a goal. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's dive back into the big old bag of mail. This question comes from Dominic. Love the show and all the hosts. I hope rumors of Chip getting five to eight in Angola are just rumors and not truth. <laughs> I'm out. Uh, listening to, listening to the show about pods, scheduling pods. I love the idea of having traditional rivals and going through the league every two years or so. So that team plays home and away against every team within a four year span was also listening to a podcast where they mentioned Notre Dame and Ohio state played in 1995 and 1996. And before that, the last time that they had played other than a bowl game was 1935 and 1936. Everybody says, and I agree, Notre Dame feels like a Big Ten team, but obviously they do not want to join the conference, which is fine. I know they have an agreement with the ACC to play five games annually. I think it would be great for Notre Dame and the sport if they also made an arrangement with the Big Ten to play two games annually, possibly three. This would leave them free to still play USC and Stanford. They could also still play Navy or Army as they want to on occasion, but they would but they would be able to get through the Big Ten schedule in four to seven years. What do you think of Notre Dame playing Big Ten teams every year other than just Michigan or Michigan State? Uh, they kind of already do. Like, I mean, they play Purdue. They play right. Michigan. And I think they play Michigan State. Like, I'm just looking at future schedules right now that are on there. Like, they've got the Ohio State games, as he mentioned. But then after that, they've got Purdue. Then they've got Michigan State. They've had that longstanding rivalry with Michigan that's kind of an on-again, off-again. I th I don't think uh, they play Michigan again in 2033. Uh, but I don't. I, I think it would be cool. The problem is Notre Dame wants doesn't mind playing Big Ten teams. It's just there's only a few Big Ten teams it wants to play. It wants to play Purdue for the rivalry in the state. It wants to play Michigan because of the rivalry there. It wants to play Michigan State because it's a historic rivalry between them. It, if it does an agreement with the Big Ten where it's got to play two opponents a year, it doesn't want to play Northwestern or Iowa or Illinois or, you know, it's like... Rutgers or Maryland. Yeah. It doesn't want... It's not going to want to go through that rotation. There's just a few schools that it has a history with that it likes to continue playing and it schedules them in where they can. And if it wasn't for the agreement with the ACC, would probably be playing more of them on an annual basis. But... So it could. I just don't think it makes much sense. 
I mean, he's right. They do feel more of a Big Ten fit than they do with the ACC. Yeah. And it's not even close. Um, I still like. At, at what point does Notre Dame like? I'm not. I don't have their their TV deal pulled up here, and I know they have their own deal, and they, it's always been very lucrative from them. At what point? I guess are they are they locked in with the ACC TV deal? Through that's 36. part of it too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of screwed, just like the ACC. It's basically what we're saying. <laughs> but they've got they have their own TV deal as well with NBC, so they have an additional source of revenue. Um, I don't know. I wish Notre Dame would fall in line and join somebody. You know, I do think at some point though, like where do they stand in the alliance? Are they aligned with the ACC in that one as far as scheduling goes? You know, yeah. I think Swarbrick. I, the, I don't know about the scheduling part, but at these meetings where they have determined college football playoff future at these, you know, all the conference commissioners, it, the Notre Dame is not a subsi- subsidiary of the ACC or represented by Jim Phillips. Athletic director Jack Swarbrick is standing on his own and has the same seat at the table that appears to be in line with a conference commissioner. So, for the alliance, I'm sure that because the Big Ten and the ACC are both a part of it, I'm sure the Notre Dame seems philosophically aligned, but I don't know how that would... I've always thought the scheduling aspect of the alliance was a little bit more of a back burner issue and that they just wanted to make sure that they had... Um, uh, what, what do they call it in politics? Caucuses, right? Yeah. yeah. So we're just going to get all these people with a similar connection and make sure that everyone votes the same. I've always thought that the alliance was more of a caucus than it was actually setting up um, a, a Big Ten ACC. Do we lose him again? I think so. <laughs> I think he'll be back, though. Yeah, no, I I just think that overall, sticking with the question, like you're right, Notre Dame is more of a Big Ten field than an ACC field. Like they did that agreement with the ACC because recruiting wise, they wanted to keep their footprint in that region of the country because it's an important region. But culturally, yes, I always felt it was more of a Big Ten school. Yeah. Hey, uh, what about caucuses, Chip? You're back from your toilet Wi Fi? Well, the, <laughs> I mean, it's the, I, I could still hear you the whole time. You did a great job. <laughs> Thanks. You did a great job of keeping it moving. Uh, all right, let's take it. This next one is from Hanover Who. Love the pod. Why isn't Brennan Armstrong, the Virginia quarterback, getting any love from college football media for the best quarterbacks returning, preseason All-American, or the Heisman? He had 4,700 total yards on offense and 40 touchdowns in 2021 in just 11 games. Yes, Virginia's defense sucked last year, but he put up a historic season. Seems like he is penalized for playing on a bad team. Yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> like uh, and that. I don't know if it's so much of playing on a bad team. I think it's playing in a different offense this year. Like mm-hmm. that that offense threw the ball all, all the over time. the yard. I mean, that's all yeah. they did was throw it. I don't think that's what Tony Elliott's going to want to do. So I think the offense is going to look different. I like his skill set. I think he's a stud. But I think that's why a lot of people are tentative. They just don't know what that system is going to look like uh, with the new staff. And I think it's yeah. totally fair. Yeah. I, I, and too, like you said, it's he was a very good player 
for Virginia last year. He put up some great numbers, but a lot of it was just volume. Like he was second in the nation in yards per game. But if you go by quarterback rating, he ranked 22nd nationally. Like he wasn't even the best quarterback in the ACC as far as his passing efficiency. In fact, I think he was third or fourth. So there's plenty to like there. But when you're not even the best QB in your own conference, it's hard to expect that you're going to be on all America teams, that you're going to be a Heisman candidate, especially when you're coming off a team that had a, dis- you know, not disappointing, but wasn't competing for an ACC title last year, has a new head coach, will have an entirely new offense. There's a whole lot of factors that are going into why Brendan Armstrong isn't being mentioned, none of which mean that he can't have a great season and be on the list at the end of the year. And frankly, I would rather be on it at the end than the beginning. There are, uh, I think Sam Hartman has better Heisman Trophy odds from Wake Forest. You know, Devin Leary. Devin Leary. Devin Leary is- uh, Tyler Van Dyke does too. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm telling you, if I'm Jim Phillips, I am talking to the marketing department and I am saying we need to brand the ACC as the conference of quarterbacks. There are so many good NFL caliber quarterbacks in the ACC and yet they're not like pumping it. I think you should be pumping that out, promoting it. The problem is they're probably going to be on like eight win teams. They're all going to be good and their teams aren't going to be great. And then do you have that one? And you know what's crazy is we talk about all these quarterbacks, not one of them that we've talked about. I don't think any of us would have them as a Clemson quarterback. You know, like there's and if they if they hit if DJ gets it figured out or Cade Klubnik, you know, is the guy then you're talking about an even deeper class. That, uh, yeah. Carson Becker asked, did any four of you take him in the Heisman draft? I'm pretty sure no one did. I I, I don't think we did either. No, I did. I take probably, EJU, I Even if we went back, I still, I don't think I would because of those question marks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The coaching change, right? Yeah, yeah for sure. To- totally adjust the expectations. But, uh, like you mentioned a very, very good quarterback. All right, let's got, we got one more here. This one is from Neil. Love the pod. Curious how tiebreaker love the pod show, the one where y'all talked about pods, scheduling pods, but curious how tiebreakers will work. What happens when more than two teams across different across the SEC end up with the same record if they haven't played head to head? So we're talking about pod system, expanded conferences. We're going, you know, two teams with the best conference winning percentage. What happens if head to head isn't there? Are we going to get to tiebreaker option seven in the bylaws of all of these conference things, which is breaking out a daggum coin, breaking out a daggum <laughs> coin? Uh, I, I mean, as we move to divisionless football, do you imagine that we are going to get some absurd tiebreaker scenarios, or is that just something that we that we think is going to work itself out? I mean, it depends on the pod. Like if if it's a 14-team conference like the ACC and the Big Ten and they're doing like the 3-5-5 model where you've got the three rivalries and then you rotate the other five, very rarely are there going to be three teams with the same record who didn't at least have some shared games between each other. Not saying it can't happen. It's just it would be like a perfect storm kind of situation. And if that is a situation, they'll do what they already do. They'll use college football playoff rankings or BCS rankings or whatever oh. metric they want to do because that's what yeah. they've done for the last few years. That's a very good point. And like I I think that I when I read the question the first time I also was envisioning not that three teams would have the same record, but that maybe one team would be in first and then there's like two more that are tied mm-hmm. to the other um position in a conference championship game based on win percentage. Uh, for for those who are curious and Tom kind of mentioned it right there, 
a record against common opponents is yep. the tiebreaker that pops up the most when you go through the tiebreaker scenarios as they existed last season across all of the conferences at the FBS level in college football. So it would need to be uh, having the exact same record against those same shared opponents before we move on to the next step. And I do think that that's a, that's a good call. But boy, the, the conspiracy, the, the CFP anons, when, when we've got a tiebreaker scenario and it's going to come down to the how the selection committee ranks them on a Tuesday to set the championship game for a Saturday, that's tasty, tasty stuff. Yeah, I hate mm-hmm. that. That's like that's like the NBA using NBA all team voting to like determine how much money players can make. That's <laughs> it's just a terrible idea. Do you recuse yourself if you're from the conference? I think even you would if have it's to. not your team. Yeah. You'd yeah. have to, I think. But even then, maybe you shouldn't, because then like what if <laughs> like say it's say we're talking about the ACC and it's between like Clemson and a Wake Forest team that just had a, tr- a magnificent year. Well, if I'm the SEC or the Big Ten, which one do I want to possibly face in the playoff? Clemson oh. or the Wake Forest team? It's like, oh, I want to rather Wake, F- Wake Forest. Let's put Wake Forest ahead of Clemson. Sabotage the Tigers just <laughs> to make sure that Davo doesn't get his way. Yeah. Boy, if you thought the Roy bus had gas in it, the rest <laughs> of y'all are going to really start to see it after that. Uh, yeah, but it's, you know, the, the tiebreakers in uh, divisionless football are definitely something that I, I understand why the readers were a little bit curious about it. Um, I think, Tom, you nailed it on the head. Records against common opponents and then probably rankings at that point. Yeah, you know we're doing like if everything else is becoming more like soccer, they could just go by point differential. Whoever or away goals, or are we getting away goals? No, out no, no, away, no, away <laughs> goals, but just go whoever the, the largest point differential between the two. So if you outscored your opponents by 150 and they only outscored them by 125, the 150 team goes. Oh, so, boy. And we see blowouts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so we've got run differential now in the in baseball. Mm-hmm. And so there's been like all these unwritten rules about when to take your foot off the gas are kind of out the window because you want to make sure you've got a good run differential because there's no play, there's no playoff play-in game anymore mm-hmm. we're just going to go ahead and set it at the end of the season so i hey listen let's let's go if you want to you want to stop me from scoring keep me out of the end zone mm-hmm. more blowouts let's go <laughs> if you Allow wanna, us to get our gamers written quicker <laughs> that's true uh, if you would like to add a question to the future mailbag episode then you can Go and leave us a five-star review. Put a question in that review, and we will throw it in the big old bag of mail for a future mailbag episode. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Pernell. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See you.